European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 41, Issue 39. Focus Issue, Heart Failure. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The multiple causes and treatments of heart failure. Focus on genetic and molecular mechanisms and non-pharmacological interventions. Dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM, is currently defined by the presence of left ventricular, or LV, or biventricular dilatation and systolic dysfunction in the absence of abnormal loading conditions, or coronary artery disease sufficient to cause global systolic impairment. Research over recent decades has shed new light on the etiology and natural history of DCM. In particular, it's recognised that many patients have a long preclinical phase characterised by few, if any, symptoms and minor cardiac abnormalities that fall outside current disease definitions. It's also clear that distinct subtypes in fact share a common DCM phenotype. This focus issue on heart failure, or HF, opens with two contributions on DCM. The first contribution is a current opinion entitled Dilated Cardiomyopathy, So Many Cardiomyopathies by Gianfranco Sinagra from the University of Trieste in Italy and colleagues. The authors note that despite gaps in knowledge, precision medicine in cardiology is no longer a theoretical vision, but a realistic opportunity for the future treatment of patients with dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM. They also point out that the movement from symptomatic to treatments targeting specific disease mechanisms represents a conceptual shift from slowing disease progression to a paradigm of disease reversal or prevention as the main objective. The authors propose a novel approach to DCM patients, including a comprehensive evaluation from the identification of possible removal of environmental triggers to the identification of likely pathogenic genetic variants, should be promoted in order to apply individualised therapeutic strategies. The second contribution is a clinical research manuscript entitled Clinical Presentation, Management and Six-Month Outcomes in Women with Peripartum Cardiomyopathy, an ESC-EORP Registry. Karen Sliwa from the University of Cape Town in South Africa and colleagues sought to describe the clinical presentation, management and six-month outcomes in women with peripartum cardiomyopathy, or PPCM, globally. In 2011, more than 100 national and affiliated member cardiac societies of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, were contacted to contribute to a global registry on PPCM under the auspices of the ESC-EORP programme. These societies were tasked with identifying centres who could participate in this registry. A total of 739 women were enrolled in 49 countries in Europe, 33%, Africa, 29%, Asia-Pacific, 15%, and the Middle East, 22%. Mean age was 31 plus or minus 6 years. Mean left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, was 31 plus or minus 10%, and 10% had previous pregnancy complicated by PPCM. Symptom onset occurred most often within one month of delivery, 44%. At diagnosis, 67% of patients had severe NYHA 3-4 symptoms. 
67% had LVEF less than or equal to 35%, and 15% received bromocryptine with significant regional variation. The six-month mortality was 6% overall, lowest in Europe, 4%, and highest in the Middle East, 10%. Myocardial recovery, LVE, of greater than 50%, occurred only in 46%, most commonly in Asia-Pacific, 62%, and least commonly in the Middle East, 25%. Neonatal death occurred in 5%, with marked regional variations, i.e. Europe 2%, and Middle East 9%. The authors conclude that PPCM is a global disease, but clinical presentation and outcomes vary by region. Just under half of women experience myocardial recovery. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Uri El Kayam and Hezi Schmuley from the University of South California in Los Angeles, California, USA. The authors conclude that more research is required to determine the socio-economic and genetic reasons for different geographical and racial characteristics of PPCM and to develop effective population-specific diagnostic and therapeutic approaches. Patients with end-stage HF have a poor quality of life, a very high mortality rate, and are potential candidates for implantation of a left ventricular assist device, or an LVAD. Although cardiac transplantation is associated with high 1- and 10-year survival rates, organ supply is limited. The technical improvements and proven successes of implantable LVADs have made it a reasonable treatment option in these patients, either as a bridge to CTX or as a destination therapy. The Elevate registry was designed to study long-term outcomes with the HeartMate 3 or HM3, a fully magnetically levitated centrifugal ventricular assist device in a real-world population following CE mark approval. In a clinical research article entitled Two-Year Outcome After Implantation of a Fully Magnetically Levitated Left Ventricular Assist Device Results from the Elevate Registry Daniel Zimpfler from the Medical University of Vienna in Austria and colleagues assessed 463 patients receiving the HM3 as primary implant in Europe and the Middle East, enrolled in the Elevate registry. Data collection included demographics, survival, adverse events, quality of life assessment, and 6-minute walk distance, or 6MWD. Mean age was 55.6 plus or minus 11.7 years, 89% male, 48% ischemic cardiomyopathy. 70% of patients were in Intermax profile 1 to 3 and 12.7% were on temporary mechanical circulatory support. The survival rate was 83% after 2 years, while stroke was observed in 10.2%, gastrointestinal bleeding in 9.7%, pump thrombosis in 1.5% and outflow graft twists in 3.5%. HM3 implantation results in a significant and sustained improvement of functional capacity and quality of life. Zimpfler and colleagues conclude that in a real-world population cohort implanted with the HM3 left ventricular assist device, the long-term survival is good with sustained improvement of functional capacity and low rates of adverse events. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial 
by Stephen Pettit and colleagues from the Royal Papworth Hospital NHS Foundation Trust in Cambridge, United Kingdom. They note that the Elevate registry provides reassuring data about survival with the HeartMate 3 LVAD, demonstrates that low adverse event rates with the HeartMate 3 are achievable in the real world, but also highlights that adverse events remain problematic. Thus, we do not yet have a perfect implantable LVAD for the long-term treatment of patients with advanced heart failure. Cardiac resynchronization plays a key role in the management of chronic heart failure, but the identification of responders remains challenging. In a clinical research article entitled Imaging Predictors of Response to Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy, Left Ventricular Work Asymmetry by Echocardiography and Septal Viability by Cardiac Magnetic Resonance, John Arlen from the Oslo University Hospital and University of Oslo in Norway and colleagues investigated if septal and left lateral wall function measured as myocardial work, alone or combined with assessment of septal viability, identified responders to cardiac resynchronization therapy, or CRT. In a prospective multicenter study of 200 CRT recipients, myocardial work was measured by pressure strain analysis and viability by cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, or CMR. Before CRT, septal work was markedly lower than left lateral wall work, and the difference was largest in CRT responders. Work difference between septum and lateral wall predicted CRT response with area under the curve of 0.77. In patients undergoing CMR, combining work difference and septal viability significantly increased AUC to 0.88. This was superior to the predicted power of QRS morphology, QRS duration, and the echocardiographic parameters septal flash, apical rocking, and systolic stretch index. The authors conclude that the assessment of myocardial work and septal viability identify CRT responders with high accuracy. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Fritz Prinzen and Joost Lumens from the Cardiovascular Research Institute Maastricht in the Netherlands, who note that this study provides a strong extension of our understanding of CRT response and that it would not be a waste of work to perform a larger prospective study to prove the clinical feasibility and benefits of a meaningful measure of LV mechanical discoordination as an important additional selection criterion for CRT in the real-world setting. Coronavirus Disease 2019 or COVID-19 due to Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, or SARS-CoV-2, has been associated with cardiovascular features of myocardial involvement, including elevated serum troponin levels, acute heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and myocarditis. In a clinical research article, Pathological Features of COVID-19-Associated Myocardial Injury, a multicenter cardiovascular pathology study, Cristino Basso from the University of Padua in Italy and colleagues note that the cardiac pathological changes in these patients with COVID-19 have yet to be well described. In an international multicenter study, cardiac tissue from the autopsy of 21 consecutive COVID-19 patients was assessed by cardiovascular pathologists. The presence of myocarditis as defined by the presence of multiple foci of inflammation with associated myocyte injury, 
was determined and the inflammatory cell composition analysed by immunohistochemistry. Other forms of acute myocyte injury and inflammation were also described, as well as coronary artery, endocardium and pericardium involvement. Lymphocytic myocarditis was present in 3, or 14%, of the cases. Mild pericarditis was present in 4 cases. Acute myocyte injury in the right ventricle, most likely due to strain overload, was present in 4 cases. A non-significant trend towards higher serum troponin levels was observed in the patients with myocarditis compared to the patients without myocarditis. The authors conclude that in SARS-CoV-2, there is increased interstitial macrophages in a majority of the cases and multifocal lymphocytic myocarditis in a small fraction of the cases. Other forms of myocardial injury are also present in these patients. The macrophage infiltration may reflect underlying disease rather than COVID-19. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Nikolaus Frangogianis and colleagues from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx, New York, USA. He notes that the findings of the current study are consistent with the notion that direct COVID-19-mediated cardiac pathology is uncommon. The incidence of cardiac shock, or CS, has increased remarkably over the past decade and remains a challenging condition with mortality rates of approximately 50%. CS encompasses cardiac contractile dysfunction. However, it is also a multi-organ dysfunction syndrome, often complicated by a systemic inflammatory response with severe cellular and metabolic dysregulation. In a clinical review entitled Molecular Signature of Cardiogenic Shock, Antonio Baez-Genis from the Hospital Universitari Germans Trias y Pujol in Barcelona, Spain, and colleagues sought to review the evidence on the biochemical manifestations of CS, elaborating on the current gold standard biomarkers and novel candidates for molecular signatures of CS. Novel genomic, transcriptomic and proteomic data are discussed and a recently reported molecular score derived from unbiased proteomic discovery, the CS4P, which includes liver fatty acid binding protein or LFABP, beta-2 microglobulin, or B2-MG, fructose biophosphate adelase B, or ALDOB-B, and serpin G1, or IC1, is comprehensively described. In another clinical review entitled When Genetic Burden Reaches Threshold, Roddy Walsh from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands and colleagues Note that the rare genetic diseases have generally been considered to be broadly Mendelian in nature, with clinical genetic testing for these conditions predicted on the detection of a primary causative rare pathogenic variant that will enable cascade genetic screening in families, substantial variability in penetrance and disease severity among carriers of pathogenic variants, as well as the inability to detect rare Mendelian variants in considerable portions of the patients, indicates that more complex etiologies are likely to underlie these diseases. Recent findings have suggested genetic variants across a range of population frequencies and effect sizes may combine along with non-genetic factors to determine whether the threshold for expression of disease is reached and the severity of the phenotype. The availability of increasingly large genetically characterized cohorts of patients 
with rare cardiac disease is enabling the discovery of common genetic variation that may underlie both variable penetrance in Mendelian diseases and the genetic etiology of apparently non-Mendelian rare cardiac conditions. It is likely that the genetic architecture of rare cardiac diseases will vary considerably between different conditions as well as between patients with similar phenotypes, ranging from near-Mendelian disease to models more akin to common complex disease. Uncovering the broad range of genetic factors that predispose patients to rare cardiac diseases offers the promise of improved risk prediction and more focused clinical management in patients and their families. The two primary molecular regulators of lifespan are sirtuin one or SIRT1 and mammalian target of rapamycin complex 1 or mTORC1. In a special article entitled Longevity Genes, Cardiac Aging and Pathogenesis of Cardiomyopathy Implications for Understanding the Effects of Current and Future Treatment for Heart Failure Milton Packer from the Baylor University Medical Center at Dallas in Texas, United States, notes that each plays a central role in two highly interconnected pathways that modulate the balance between cellular growth and survival. The activation of SIRT1, along with peroxisome proliferator-activated receptor gamma coactivator, or PGC1A, and adenosine monophosphate-activated protein kinase, or AMPK, and the suppression of mTORC1, along with its upstream regulator AKT, act prolong organismal longevity and retard cardiac aging. Both activation of SIRT1-PGC1A and inhibition of mTORC1 shifts the balance of cellular priorities so as to promote cardiomyocyte survival over growth, leading to cardioprotective effects in experimental models. These benefits may be related to direct actions to modulate oxidative stress, organellar function, pro-inflammatory pathways, and maladaptive hypertrophy. Additionally, a primary shared benefit of both SIRT1-PGC1A-AMPK activation and AKT-MTORC1 inhibition is the enhancement of autophagy, a lysome-dependent degradative pathway which clears the cytosol of dysfunctional organelles and misfolded proteins that drive the aging process by increasing oxidative and endoplasmic reticulum stress. Interestingly, most treatments that have been shown to be clinically effective in the treatment of chronic heart failure with reduced ejection fraction have been reported experimentally to exert favorable effects to activate SIRT1-PGC1A-AMPK and or suppress AKT-MTORC1, and thereby to promote autophagic flux. Therefore, the impairment of autophagy resulting from the derangements in longevity gene signaling is likely to represent a seminal event in the evolution and progression of cardiomyopathy. This issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a contribution entitled the importance of myocardial biopsy in the diagnosis of infectious myocarditis. It still plays a role. Antonio Piperata from the University of Padua in Italy and colleagues comment on the recent publication entitled 
coronavirus fulminant myocarditis, saved with glucocorticoid and human immunoglobulin. By Hong Dai Hu from the Sichuan University in China and colleagues. Hu and colleagues respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.